Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at Tendeka's office in Houston, Texas, with probably one of the smartest people I've talked to in a long time, Miss Annabelle Green, Chief Technical Officer at Tendeka. Thanks for coming on to the show, Annabelle. Well, thank you. Certainly. Now, this is a special episode. She flew all the way from Aberdeen to be interviewed by a Canadian. I hope you know what you're in for. <laughs> I didn't tell you that beforehand, but I wanted to throw it out there. So, Annabelle, when did you fly in and how's your time been so far? I came over last weekend and I've been over in Bakersfield, California, speaking to operators there and then into Los Angeles, where I was getting some training on one of our new product offerings, which is for Deepwater Gulf, Mexico. And then finally back into New Orleans to speak to a few more operators there on, on new technology. So I'll finish up my trip focusing on the U.S. land market at the Hydraulic Fat Conference next week. Awesome. That, that's fantastic. I didn't realize that. you. So you've been all over the place and you guys have work or you deal with uh, operators in California. Yeah, well, okay. that's, that's a new area for us. We're look, speaking to them. There's some really good technology fits there. So we're quite excited. Awesome. Well, I bet you're probably happy to be out of the cold for a little bit, hey? Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I heard you speaking before, and what was the temperature? And you can say it in Celsius because I'm Canadian, so I can totally okay. relate. Okay. Yeah. W- uh, yeah, I think last night at my house it was minus 11. Minus 11. Degrees so C. that's not too bad. I mean, I don't know what it's like in Aberdeen, but I know it's quite far north. And back home, minus 11, if it's sunny out, it's actually not too bad. Mm-hmm. But does Aberdeen see like the, the minus 30s and 40s like we do back in Canada? No, that, that's, that's about as cold as it, it'll get is the minus oh. 11. So, so you know, okay, that, that's not too bad. It's not bad. No. no. You know, we might, we might put a jumper on at that. Okay, okay. And for the listeners out there, you need to explain what a jumper is. <laughs> is that a, a sweater? A sweater? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is it the one with the hood on it? Oh, that would be a hoodie. Okay, so yeah. we call them hoodies. So yeah. I, I'm, I like the sound of that. Okay, awesome. Well, hopefully you get some sunshine while you're here. Do you have any plans outside of work that you're going to take advantage of? Well, I have a, yeah, I've, I've sort of worked in global roles for, you know, in the past 20 years. So I've, I've got friends everywhere. So I've got some good social plans as well as the, the work, I, you know, mix that up a bit. No, that's fantastic. Houston has a lot to offer. Do you ever enjoy uh, some of the restaurants and stuff that we have around here? Well, the restaurants are the best bit, aren't they? Yes, yes, they are. What's your favorite? Do you have one or, or a certain type of food that you like to enjoy while you're here? Oh, I like there's some really good Japanese here. And I okay. at least once a trip will indulge in a giant steak. Ah, yes. The Texas beef... And the restaurants here are fantastic. I have mm-hmm. to agree with you there. And now, of course, steak's healthy. You know, that's, you know, as long as you don't have it with chips, right, you can yeah. have as much steak as you like. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I mean, I could go on forever about the health benefits of red meat, but uh, this, that's not <laughs> this type of podcast. So that's another story for another day. Well, let's move on. Annabelle, tell us a bit of your backstory before life in the oil field. Okay, well... God, I've spent more than half of my life in the oil field, so I was casting my mind back. Okay. Sort of, I was born in a sort of a rundown fishing town on the east coast of England when we 
plotted there how we would escape. And it was either join the military or go to university. Wow. And so definitely a learner, not a fighter. I went off to university and straight out of university, got a job with Schlomager, which taught me to Aberdeen. Ah, yeah. and if I and I took a look, I did a little research. You went to the University of Leeds, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, and that's a very prestigious school in the UK, is it not? Yeah, I think it has one of the the top mechanical engineering departments. Wow, there. and that's your background yeah. is mechanical. Okay, yeah, cool. And what, how was your experience there? Was it was it good? It was really good. I mean, the the city's got two universities there and a major nursing hospital. So there's the the whole social aspect of it. And I was really into sort of live music and motorbikes at that time. So wow. It was, so you know how to party? <laughs> That's I obvious. Used to I like know it. how to party. <laughs> I guess it depends how you define partying, right? I I, I can relate. I can yeah. relate. So before we get into the weeds too much, what's your favorite activity outside of work? It sounds like you're into motorbikes. I was into motorbikes and uh, then children come along and you have to promise not to kill yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, so, well, so far you've done well. So You're sitting here. So that's you've done that. So, yeah, some of the more dangerous activities had to go. But I do. I still like to be out on the road. I just now do it without the motor. OK. So I'm, I'm a sort of road cyclist, which ah. is really big in Scotland because it's got such great sort of rural hillsides and low traffic and all of those things. Wow. Make it suitable for that. But it's a great way of de-stressing and getting exercise and seeing the countryside yes and it's sort of the new golf ah that's Down, interesting downside is there's too much lycra on the road yeah what is that <laughs> you know the the shiny cycle shorts oh yeah, yeah. lots of <laughs> lots of people that should not be wearing tight hey, that shorts i promise you that's not just where you're from that's everywhere mm. i live in Katy, and and i'm sorry for any of you gentlemen out there but yeah it's like they're they're training for the tour de france and it's like Man, you could just wear regular shorts. I don't think the aerodynamic shorts are helping you out too much, but but hey, that's fine. I, people can make fun of me too. That's okay. Well, that's neat. I would have never guessed. So when you say motorbikes, are you talking about like road bikes? Or are you talking motocross? Or are you talking on like street bikes? Yeah, it's okay. road bikes. Very yeah. cool. Okay, good. So, and I was going to ask you if you'd spent much time working or dealing with North American oil and gas, which it sounds like you have. Did you, when you were working, you said with Schlumberger out of mm-hmm. university, did you work primarily overseas or did they bring you over here right away? Or? No, they uh, worked North Sea with ah. Schlumberger. So I just, I did three years there, which was about enough as a, as a wireline engineer and then moved into the completion sector. So I worked for a small company at that time, which called Petroline, which okay. was eventually bought by Weatherford. And that's where you know, I spent sort of 15 years in total doing Weatherford sand control. Ah, okay. So a vast sort of a, definitely a good dynamic uh, amount of experience sort yeah. of in the downhole and wireline. Yeah. Very interesting. So what would you say the biggest difference between dealing with people here versus the UK or, or anywhere else overseas? Do you find is there like there's a big culture difference or the way people conduct business? Yeah, and I think one of the things I sort of really enjoy about U.S. land is the sort of the rate of technology uptake because there's not because of the sort of there's plenty of well stock and the, the, the wells are relatively low cost and there's plenty of wells being drilled. It's been a for me, you know, developing technologies, which is what I've mostly done throughout my career. We've always brought us brought them to the U.S. land to trial them out because okay. this has been where we can sort of run stuff, trial and error. And before we go to the sort of expensive sort of offshore subsea environments that the technologies are often tailored for. So I've run jobs out of McAllen, Texas and ah. Castle, Wyoming and 
the Bakken and right up onto the north slopes of Alaska. And just because there's been a sort of a, it, the hurdles to get new technology in the ground here are okay. not are not so great. So I think that you know that that means that the the, the technology adoption cycles here is so much faster. And we see that when a technology hits, particularly U.S. land, and it gets proven it sort of proliferates really quickly and you actually get to the point where sometimes the a technology is almost as obsoleted before the IP's even been granted because the next thing's come along behind that, the next great idea and has pushed that, that out of the way. So it's okay. that pace is so much faster than you will see um, elsewhere, particularly in the sort of the the basins which are run by national oil companies, which are probably the slowest on uptake, but even the sort of the North Sea where we've got a lot more independent oil companies, there's sort of much bigger hurdles to jump in terms of de-risking a technology prior to first installations. Okay, so it's it's almost like a proving ground, if you will. And then once it gets proven and I guess you gain enough good data mm-hmm. points and you can start marketing it to other, you know, offshore and, and I guess riskier environments. Yeah, so. so that was sort of like sort of traditionally sort of um, how we've worked. And of course, now we're focusing a lot more on U.S. land. We're bringing, you know, bringing in technologies that are specific for the challenges here. Okay. But again, that, but we can leverage those, those sort of lower hurdles and that sort of, sort of greater ability to sort of get new technology and because of the high well counts in order to sort of bring things in faster, which is great. Right. I guess you got to, because of the well turnover and just how many data points you get in such a short amount of time allows you to optimize and, and sort of retweak different things. So yeah. uh, I can definitely, I can appreciate that strategy uh, at the very least. I mean, that's, that sounds like it's something that's been effective for you guys. So does the UK government support oil and gas? I know we're taking a bit of a shift here, but okay. I'm, 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 me personally, I'm interested in, in that side because I've only ever worked Canada and the United States. But. Actually, the answer used to be no. No, it didn't. So we, we, just, we do a lot of our R&D, we'd get funded through the Norwegian sector because the, the, there's a lot greater focus there on extending, or increasing the value of the reserves that they have and investing in technology to do that. But we've seen a shift in that attitude since the downturn, where it's sort of the, for the first time, sort of Aberdeen and the North Sea sector, you know, stalled, and we saw high rates of unemployment and wells being prematurely abandoned because they weren't economically viable oh. at those low oil prices. So essentially, we start leaving oil in the ground, and so the. Scottish government, rather than the UK government, has stepped in with funding that's available. So it set up a new body called the Oil and Gas Technology Centre, and they're now directly funding sort of field trials and technology developments. So we've seen a lot more activity, and as a result of that, we're seeing you know a lot more engagement with the with the operators because they can they can uh, spread the risk of implementing new technology with getting funding support for that. Okay. So look a little bit further, how does Brexit affect the UK with regards to oil and gas? Is that something, and I mean, that may be a question that's not even relevant, but does that make a difference? No, it hasn't done, to be honest. I think probably the only, the biggest challenge will be with potentially with people, you know, that we get skills, have a skills gap in oil and gas, particularly, you know, I think we haven't seen many people come into the sector recently. It's probably not something you would choose to do if you were university and the the industry is bottoming out and it doesn't look like it's got such a long-term future so we actually have quite a lot of eastern european staff in sort of engineering and management positions and i think if we lose access to that workforce that that could be detrimental but in terms of sort of 
the, the ability to sell and, and do business, I don't, I don't think that'll change. Okay, interesting. Well, before we talk a little bit more about Tendeka, let's uh, take a quick break. Listeners out there, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated. I've had good both and bad, so please fill me in. All right, Annabelle. So tell us about Tendeka and, and what your company offers specifically. Okay. Well, I think Tendeka's got a bit of a unique market position. It's sort of 10 years old now, but it was formed by three companies that came from the Shell Technology Energy Ventures that mm. date back several years before that. And then there's a sort of a period of acquisition. And the, the focus has always been on technologies that sort of manage, control, or influence the interface between the well bore and the reservoir. So things that are focusing on managing inflow, managing particle production, segmenting the well bore, or stimulating the near well bore. And now sort of more recently with our sort of production enhancement product lines in sort of getting into that reservoir through the well bore in order to improve recovery and well performance. So that focus, our focus is on about effectively getting oil out of the ground, maximizing recovery, maximizing production, and minimizing the production of unwanted fluids or solids. Wow, that's impressive. So Tendeka offers, I'm assuming, is it engineering, planning, tools, a little bit of everything? I mean, what's the, what would be a general scope of work for someone like Tendeka? Yeah, so we have, uh, we have um, obviously we have strong subsurface engineering departments and support because that is critical to selling the technologies that we have because everything we have is built around solving specific well challenges and providing a value through the technology. So, for, for example, if we're looking at wells which are producing high levels of gas, we have technologies which can help reduce that gas by controlling inflow at the well bore and thereby increasing oil production. So some of our technologies you'll see uplifting oil production of maybe 30% over the well life. And so in order to be able to demonstrate that requires obviously a high degree of subsurface engineering and modeling on the front end of it. And then also sort of throughout, you know, the well life, having been able to history match that to sort of ensure that the performance of the devices are, are as required. So there's a big piece. So as some of it's been some of it's been hardware based, some of it's around monitoring, because obviously the ability to sort of gather data on the well bore and interpret that enables you to sort of better design and well completions and then it's so into the production enhancement is the ability to test in order to be able to establish the value of the treatments to the well bore. Wow so it's uh, you guys offer a, a complete package it sounds like. Yeah and it's but in that sort of very focused very focused area so we're not the sort of the guys to go to if you want you know full integrated completion packages in most in most cases but it, it's this specific reservoir focus and that's what we sort of offer over the major service companies who have you know a huge portfolio of equipment that they're trying to bundle up and and sell to the operator this is just focused on that specific production enhancement performance improving okay maximizing recovery part of it all right annabelle that's interesting are there any new innovative technologies that have recently been launched or anything uh, your customers can look forward to coming down the pipeline yeah, so a lot of we always have innovation ongoing. At the moment, a lot of our focus is around the the U.S. land market, and um, we see a shift in that market towards 
improving recovery and well performance. Obviously, there's a huge amount of oil in place here. And there's a huge gap actually between proven reserves and technically recoverable reserves. And so technologies that can help improve those improve those numbers are enormously valuable. So last year we launched a technology solution called the Magifrac, which bundles together fluids and hardware. And that's been focused more on reducing the amount of water that needs to be pumped during the frac operations. Okay. The next levels of technology we're coming out with are more to do with EOR, improving the performance of CO2 soaks in shale reservoirs using advanced completions and advanced fluids. And then beyond that, looking into more sort of near wellbore stimulations and soaks in the refrack arena that helps pull more oil out of wells, which are now sort of in the, the low levels of production. Interesting. Wow. So it's, so it sounds like, and, and, and you mentioned water and less water with, with one of the uh, technologies that you guys have brought out. And that's, that's a huge topic. So anytime you can reduce the amount of water, reduce the amount of, you know, logistics that requires to get, you know, volume out to location, uh, it, it sounds like you're capturing that and it's such a, there's a huge value for that and operators, especially with, you know, new environmental regulations, safety regulations, that part of it's important. And obviously anytime you can get more oil out of the ground, the yeah. better. And, and that's interesting that you say how much is there that they've calculated versus how much technically you can actually extract. Yeah. And you hope that the number's close, but I would imagine most of the time it's not. They're not. For, for the Permian Basin, I think there's something like, there's less than 10, well, let's say less than 10, it's a huge number. There's okay. around 10 billion barrels of proven reserves in the sort of Wolf Camp Permian Basin area. Right. The numbers for technically recoverable are four times that, over 40 billion. So the, the, oh, wow. that, that gap is in sort of two parts. One, it's, it's the economics. We need to be more effective of what, at what we're doing. It's not, they're not ec- currently economically viable. So we need to make our technologies more efficient so that we can get, it's basically reducing lift costs. And that's, you know, the technology is there to do it. It's the ability to apply that effectively. Right. And so I sort of, there's been very much the sort of the process in uh, US land is a lots of engineering by trial and error. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of data there. You know, the, the models are there, but they're very difficult to validate. It's finding low cost ways of getting data to the, data to the engineers because engineers need data in order to sort of improve the improve the en- the energy that they can get from the from each application and then once we've got the the data is then ha- being able to apply technology in a more intelligent way rather than having the sort of um, we use the term sort of engineered fracks where instead of sort of blanketly focusing on spacings and clusters and but in a very uniform way that we can become much more efficient okay so if you, if you sort of technically if you think about it and these are very rough numbers in a well bore a, th- a third of the fracks will be economically productive a third of them won't produce at all and a third of them will be borderline okay well that that one third you don't need to frack so you can save money and the other third of course you if you can make that more efficient and more effective then you can have more production so this i think we see a move towards that in some operators in some areas and that's that's the part that interests us interesting so would you say there's a trend to move more towards figuring that out i mean i'd imagine that if all the operators could essentially figure out exactly which wells to frack, they would, but there's a cost associated with that. And obviously companies like yourself are offering that, you know, that technology to be able to come and get closer. 
is there a certain operator that's more interested in knowing that currently than like why wouldn't all operators be interested in doing something like that because it seems obvious to me sitting here like well wouldn't everyone want to use this well i think if you've got a you know a, a lot of acreage and lots of well targets it's actually the most efficient thing from a you know sort of cash flow perspective is just go and drill and complete those those wells that are in, are in known sweet spots and mm. there's plenty of new targets it's when you start running out of those ah. sweet spot targets and you have to start looking at those areas which are probably not currently economically viable they've not been sufficiently delineated and it's going to take you know the next the next advancement in technology to go after them i see because there's only so much land out there obviously and so eventually you have to start making some more calculated decisions as to exactly where you're fracking which wells you're drilling you know and making some just some finer tuned decisions Mm -hmm. so and and that because eventually we're going to run out of like there's a lot of oil in place but it's like where can you drill right so uh no, that that's fantastic. It's exciting what you guys are doing over there. In your opinion, I mean, what does the future look like for reservoir and completion optimization? You you've kind of touched on it, but is yeah. it what do you think the end goal would be? Okay. Well, if you if you look at it, if you, there's a sort of a, a way you can benchmark reservoir recovery against reservoir complexity, okay. and these are sort of these are sort of done in in lots of areas in the world, so that you can determine whether a field's overperforming or underperforming. So we talk a lot in the sort of the North Sea, we can get fields that have up to 70% recovery in, but they were the ones that have the lowest reservoir complexity. And even in that area where you get, when you get into more difficult reservoirs, the recovery factors can get as low as sort of 20%, which is kind of the, they rarely get below that. So if you take in the the shales at the moment, recovery is probably somewhere between six and 12%, depending on where you are. The target should be to double that. Wow. That'd be impressive. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. So considering your role as CTO, I'm sure you have your hands full. Do you have any daily routines or habits that keep you focused and motivated to deliver in such a demanding field? Okay. Well, I think, you know, I think things like stress management are important in a, in a particularly in the, you know, an oil field environment, things are on the go all the time it's a global business we're in you know there's always there's always somebody awake and it's possible to just unless you take some time for yourself to clear your head each day for me it can be just a thing like going for a walk you know somewhere some solitude Mm -hmm. and you know the brain has an amazing ability to prioritize and sort itself out you just need to give it a little bit of space to do that so i need to make sure you know i like to make sure i have a you know i have a, a dog that at some point during the day, or if it's uh, if it's Aberdeen in winter, it has to be lunchtime because it's dark the other, any other time. <laughs> right. It's just going to take that, and it, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour of just being by yourself, somewhere else, clear your head. Yeah, no, it, there's a lot of focus nowadays. People are getting more into meditation and mindfulness, and it sounds a little bit woo-woo, but uh, it's true. And a lot of people that I've spoken to lately that are in positions like yourself that are very demanding high-level positions it's it's taking that time out of the day so uh, i appreciate you answering that it's, that always interests it's, it's, me but it's an effective time you know so you yeah. come you come back and you know there's fresh there's fresh ideas that you sort of feel invigorated you know you can if you sit at your desk all day you know i think your productivity will drop right sometimes you have to slow down to speed up i'm mm-hmm. a firm believer in that yeah absolutely 
Well, look, let's take a break again here. Now it's time for our sponsor giveaway. Tendeka is known for its innovation in advanced completions and production optimization. And speaking of innovation, how cool is this? A mini portable projector for all you techies out there. It's a goodie mini LED projector, perfect for home theater, boardroom, office, and pocket video. For a chance to win, head over to www.tendeka.com forward slash podcast giveaway. That's T-E-N-D-E-K-A. If you're interested in one of the best oil field happy hours in Houston, come hang out with me and the rest of the OGGN group every last Tuesday of the month. Come out and enjoy a cold beer, some food, and the opportunity to network with a bunch of oil field professionals. Visit www.oilandgasglobalnetwork.com front slash events. All right, so Annabelle, you're also attending the FRAC conference next week, are you? Yes. Good. Yes, I'll be there. Good. Well, I'm sure the rest of the Tendeka group will be there as well. And we're actually having our podcast launch party on Tuesday the 5th from 4.30 to 6.30. And the venue is going to be at Tris. And that's 24 Waterway Avenue, Suite 125. We're excited for everyone to attend and get a chance to meet uh, myself and the rest of the Tendeka crew. All right, folks, but before we sign off, I really want to thank Annabelle for joining us today. And again, if you're looking for more information on Tendeka, visit www.tendeka.com. And we're actually sitting here again in their Houston headquarters. That's where their U.S. land headquarters is here in Houston. So they have a great team of folks here just continuing to deliver great service for the customers. And that's a wrap for today. And always remember, oil and gas onshore, providing energy for the world through innovation one well at a time. Thanks again. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil and Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com.